And welcome to the geekiest show ever. Uh, this is a podcast produced by MyMac Productions, MyMac.com. We, uh, we produce another weekly show. It's called the MyMac.com podcast. We've been doing that for close to five years now. And uh, we kind of wanted to branch out a little bit and talk about other stuff. So as an introduction for this first show, we are missing one of our regular hosts for this show. Unfortunately, very first episode, he's not here. His name is Guy Searle, but he'll be back next week with the, or the next show, I should say. Very uh, back, Guy. In the meantime, my name is Tim Robertson, and we also have David Cohen from the UK. Hello, David. Hello, everybody. And we have Mark Rudd. Hello, Mark. Hey, hey. I always say David Cohen from the UK to explain away the uh, accent. I don't, want, I don't want anybody to confuse you with, you know, someone from Tennessee or something. So. Well, I, I, I hope they won't do that. <laughs> yeah, not likely. So this is the geekiest show ever. What we're going to be talking about is geeky stuff. And to kick it off, I thought it would be kind of ironic, if you will, to talk about two movies from the 90s that no one ever admits to actually liking a lot. And I think most people do. So I thought, you know what, we're just gonna we're gonna start it off with a subject that maybe people just don't talk about, but I think they like these movies. And these two movies are Armageddon, and that came out in 1998, and Independence Day, which came out in 1996. So respectfully, what these are 11 and 13 year old movies. Yeah, which definitely. makes me feel incredibly old. Oh my god, it does, dude. Especially Independence Day. I mean. That 1996, I still remember the commercials for that. But remember, Apple Computer even used footage from that. Uh, Jeff Goldblum turning the computer around, showing the, the power book. That's I mean, right. That's how old the, and it was, I don't even remember which power book it was at this time. It was an old one, though. It's like a major, a 530. I mean, it was it was an old computer. Yeah, and but, I don't think yeah. they were actually doing the things with it that he said they were doing. So. <laughs> no, you think so? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I don't think no, so either. I don't think so. So and, and plugging in all the wireless stuff that he did, I, I know it didn't do that. No, no, definitely not. But uh, so that's going to be the topics this show around. Now we're going to go into topics in the future: comic books, video games, other movies. Uh, one of the shows, and actually, this kind of came to me earlier today as I was doing a little bit of pre-work for the show. Uh, favorite soundtracks from movies. I think that would be a really cool topic. Excellent. There, there's so many good soundtracks, and I'm not talking about. You know, for instance, in, in this show, one of the soundtrack songs would be um, an Aerosmith song for Armageddon. That's not the kind of soundtrack I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, the John Williams score in Star Wars. That's yeah. a soundtrack. The scores, yeah. It would have to be something created specifically for the movie. Well, yeah, but you can actually say that there's a lot of rock and roll songs that were created for a movie. I remember a Tesla song. Uh, called Last Action Hero for that stupid Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, which yeah. you know I'll say stupid, but I actually kind of liked that movie the first time I saw it. It was a, uh, it was an original con. Well, no, it wasn't an original concept. Uh, what was it? The Purple Rose of Cairo or something like that. Where- yeah, but it it was it was a very it was a very different take. It was the first of the action films that kind of didn't take itself too seriously yeah. because of because the idea was that the the action hero was popping in and out of the of the cinema screen all the time. Mm. Um, and, and really, you know, it was the first time that, because before that, action movies had been terribly, including, you know, all of Schwarzenegger's movies, had taken themselves terribly seriously. You oh, know, and the punchline, and the, the he always says the same thing in every movie. Yeah. And, and Arnold yeah. was especially bad at that, I'll be back. I mean, how many times in, not just Terminator, but he said that many times in his movies. Yeah. Exactly. So that was a movie that kind of, you know, 
poked fun at himself. And I actually, I kind of respected him more for doing that. But we're not yeah, we're I, not going to talk about Last Action Hero on this show. But although yeah. you know what, here's the thing, guys. If we do start going off on tangents, that's cool. You yeah, know, it's exactly. just a natural flow of the conversation, and that's what this podcast is going to be all about. We don't have any sponsors, at least not yet. Who knows if anybody would ever want to sponsor the show? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Let's, if I don't. Let, let's see. How, let's see how Emmerich and Devlin feel after this show. Yeah. Well, this this episode is sponsored by MyMac Magazine. <laughs> Check yeah, them out at mymac dot com. But I, I think the other thing as well is, is you know, obviously, hope we hope people are going to listen and, and enjoy what we're talking about, and obviously, if, if you do. You know, you do want to suggest things that we should talk about, then then let us know. Yep, and and going farther than that, we really want to get this show is going to really build up on feedback from people listening to the show. So unlike the MyMac podcast where we kind of have agendas and and we do stuff like that, this show is really audience participation. We need you guys to send in uh, your comments on what we're saying. I hear a dog. Yep. Yep. I got a hunch it's coming in from my side. So. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so we're going to want your feedback. Send us email. Um, we've got a phone number, but that's kind of a pain. Just send an email or even a Twitter. You can send me a Twitter at MyMac. Uh, so it's twitter.com slash MyMac. Um, Mark just held himself remotely while he's probably yelling out there, Shut that dog up! <laughs> it, it, the, 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 the dog must have heard it uh, sniffed a Terminator or something. Yeah, there you go. So, but, you know, people, not just the topics that we talk about on the show, don't just send in that kind of information. If we say what kind of show we're going to do next, send in your comments about the next subject, and we can talk right. about those things on that show. I mean, for and instance, if you, if you, go ahead. Well, as I say, if you think we're talking bull about something or we've forgotten, uh, we've forgotten something, then, uh, you know, again, just email in and let us know what you think. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, It'd be nice maybe to get, you know, as as we develop, to maybe get a few listeners on the show and, and participate maybe. That would exactly. be incredibly great. Um, I'm going to read you guys because I know you guys haven't seen this yet. When you submit a show up to iTunes for inclusion in iTunes for the podcast directory, this is the description and the summary of the show. It's only our opinion. We could be wrong, but probably not. A show from the MyMac podcast crew all about the geekiest stuff ever. Bad movies, zombies, Star Wars, Grand Theft Auto, Mario, iPhones, Xbox, PS3, Wii, music, Indiana Jones, top ten lists, and so much more. If we can geek out over something, we will. Feedback is always welcome and encouraged. In fact, we are always looking for fun topics, so let us know what you would like us to geek out about. And remember, no animals were hurt in the making of this podcast. Well... (laughs) Well, Except for that dog. Well, <laughs> maybe a few, but only yeah, the he'll really... Yeah, not be barking anymore. Wait, I'm not done. Well, <laughs> maybe a few, but only the really ugly animals and stuff we like to eat. So <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that. you know, hopefully people will read that, get a chuckle and listen to the show. So let's uh, jump into the first movie. I'm going to go back uh, to Armageddon first, and then we'll, we'll go to ID4. I'm actually going to talk about these, I'm hoping, in the in the same category as my like i like armageddon but i like id4 first um yeah so let's start with armageddon came out july 1st 1998 so obviously it was a big summer blockbuster uh produced by michael bay jerry bruckheimer i mean those two guys are pretty much responsible for the most of the big movies in the late 90s 
and nowadays as well, aren't they? Well, I mean, they, they just did Transformers. Powerhouses. Yeah, powerhouses. They, they, yeah, they, 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 can, they kind of set a tone. Um, you know, they took... They took the big movie to another level, really. Uh, and I think, uh, and obviously Jerry Bruckheimer's not with us anymore, um, but Michael Bay still continues to do Jerry that Jerry Bruckheimer today. died? He died, yeah. Shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, he, uh, no, he did. Um, he died a few years back, I think. Huh. Um, so, uh, you know, I think it was, uh, you know, it was Hollywood excess that, that led to his demise, unfortunately. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, they really, they really did... You know, the, the, they set they set some cliches. That, bad boys. Uh, they did bad boys, yeah, didn't they? They did. They did bad boys. They did The Rock, and mm. then after Armageddon, yeah. they did Pearl Harbor. Dude, I got it. We got to do a show on The Rock. I love that movie. Yeah, that's it's so movie. it's so. Uh, I, I need to correct. I need. I need to correct myself. Jerry Brookheimer didn't die. Yeah, I didn't think so. He's <laughs> he's still producing CSI. Jeez, man, you had me freaked out. I was like. <laughs> So he's dead. One of, one of those guys. There's a whole bunch well, of people. Michael Bay's not dead either, but I'm sure that I, I'm, <laughs> I know I Michael Bay is that dead. That some big movie producer who did this sort of movie had died. Now I don't know who it is. No, <laughs> then you shouldn't be going. Oh yeah, he's dead. <laughs> it was Jerry Brockheimer, one of his partners. I, I know who you're talking about. I don't have his name right in front of me. But I'm gonna we'll get, get an that. email. I'm not dead. Yeah. <laughs> As I, could start to, <laughs> I, I, I probably wouldn't Some, listen to your show regardless, but I had a couple people send me emails wanting to know uh, when I died. <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Brookheimer used to work with Don Simpson. It was Don Simpson. It was died. Don Simpson. That's right. Yeah. Don Simpson. Okay. okay. I remember that. Any relation to Homer? <laughs> That's another show. We got to do a Simpson show. That's right. Yeah. Ugh, too many too many shows to do. So anyway, Armageddon. Uh, it cost $140 million to make, and it made worldwide $553 million. So eh, they definitely got their money out of that you know movie. What? I, re- I very clearly remember when, when I went to see Armageddon. Because um, I don't know if you remember that, that, you know, sometimes in Hollywood they do this thing where, you know, the, the script goes around Hollywood and then somebody else thinks, that's a good idea, I'm going to do my own version. So you get two or three movies in the same year with the same sort of theme. So the year that Armageddon came out, which Armageddon, for anybody who hasn't seen it, Armageddon is about this, this huge asteroid is going to hit the Earth, uh, and Bruce Willis is a, um, he's a, he's an oil, oil driller. Drill. Yeah, deep he's sea. Got a cra- deep, yeah, deep drill team, and he's got a crack drill team, and they're very, you know, they're kind of, you know, relatively unprofessional, they're a real bunch of weirdos, but, you know, they really get the job done. And anyway, they find out that this asteroid is going to hit the Earth, and the only way they can um, they can save the Earth is to drill it and put a nuclear bomb in the middle of it to split it in two so it will miss the Earth. Yep. And, and basically, they recruit Bruce Willis's team to teach them how to do it, and he very quickly realizes that his team is going to have to go up with the astronauts and, and do the job. And that's what the whole film is about. Yeah. Um, and um, the thing is, is that that year, the, about three, mo- about two months before this uh, Armageddon came out, there was another movie about an asteroid hitting the Earth called Deep Impact. Yeah, which was also good, and it had. It was uh, a good. M- uh, yeah, but uh, one of my favorite actors, and I'm drawing a blank. It's because we're recording. I could see his face. Well, oh. it was kind of an ensemble piece, anyway. Deep Impact, wasn't it? Yeah. No, the president. They had Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he, so I the- love Morgan Freeman. He's so good. Yeah, but yeah. Deep Impact was a completely different sort of movie. It was very serious. It, yeah, was, it was a, a drama. Real, a real drama, real emotional. And piece. really the, about- the, the whole impetus of that movie was that who gets to survive? 
And, exactly. You know, who's going to get a golden Willy Wonka ticket to go underground and live the rest of their lives down there until it's safe to come back up? And there's yeah. very few spaces available. And what is it, like 500,000 people get to survive? That's right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, Deep Impact was actually meant to be fairly scientifically realistic. Yep. You know, they worked very hard to try and make it, you know, this is what it really would be like. Whereas Armageddon kind of throws all that out the window. But the thing is, yeah. I remember we went, to, having seen Deep Impact, we went to see Armageddon. The first scene in Armageddon has um, some sort of precursors to the main asteroid. You know, these micrometeoroids come right. and, and within five minutes they've blown up a shuttle and they've plowed into New York and there's skyscrapers falling over and there's big holes in the ground things blowing up. And I remember um, leaning over to, to the person I was at the film with and saying, you know, bloody hell, this, this, you know, the first two minutes of this make Deep Impact look really boring. Yeah, and it It's did. exactly what is it, right from the start. They grabbed you and, and Again, as well, you, you, you get to, you know, you meet this drill team, Bruce Willis's team on a rig, and, and it's one of the most effective pieces of scripting I've ever seen because within, like, probably two minutes of dialogue, you basically understand everything you need to know about these guys. Yeah, they don't they even kind of... mess around. I mean, within five minutes of, okay, here's the guys. And you've, exactly. got, you've got the, the hot shot who thinks he knows everything, but he and he does, but he's reckless, and that's Ben Affleck. You've right. got the grizzly old veteran who really does know everything and takes it cautious, and is a very protective father. And you know that's Bruce Willis. And then you've got the the ensemble characters. You got Michael Duncan, uh, Michael Clark Duncan, who's great in it. He's huge, but yeah, yet yeah. he's a nice guy, and uh, but he's not somebody you really want to mess with. But he's also the sensitive type. You know, and this was kind of a departure for uh, Billy Bob Thornton, who you know, who plays the NASA administrator. No, you in know what? Movie, it wasn't. Think about it every role he's It seemed to me like he was kind ever... of a, more of a nice guy in this one, as you opposed know, he, to kind of a he, he, badass like in most of the other ones. Nah, I wouldn't say that though. I mean, you, Billy Bob Thornton plays so many different roles and plays them well. Look at Sling Blade. I mean, right. a lot of people forget about Sling Blade. That Billy Bob Thornton's character in that movie. Have you seen Sling Blade, David? No. Oh, my God, dude, go out and rent Sling Blade. He plays a character in there that's just completely um, unlike any other character I've ever seen. Or that he's ever played. Or that uh, that almost anybody's ever played. It it was such a powerful role for him to play, and he pulled it off brilliantly. Some people watch that and don't even realize that's Billy Bob Thornton, you know. Early on, early on in his acting, you know. Uh... So, what what happens in the movie, David? And by the way, if you so, guys haven't seen it, it's spoilers. <laughs> yeah. The only time exactly. we'll, we'll, we're we're really gonna worry about not giving spoilers away, by the way, is if we're talking about a current television series, say Battlestar Galactica, which I don't watch, um, and I will. I just haven't got to it yet. Lost yeah. or you know Heroes. Oh, man, we, we try not to to give too much away of the shows that are yeah. current. Unless but it's think, an episode that's been out for a couple of weeks, then it's like, you know what, if you haven't watched it by now, too bad. Lost this is movie, so this movie, good to see. <laughs> let's not go there with yeah. this. I know, we're this not. Movie, but this, I'm just... this, this movie is 11 years old, so I think, <laughs> yeah, I think we're we safe. Don't need to worry about. Yeah. So, yeah, so what, what happens is, is uh, you know, NASA, NASA and these guys figure out they need to crash train uh, this team and, and get them up into space to, to – uh, 
to um, plant this nuclear bomb. Uh, and uh, obviously, as you might imagine, you know, this, these guys are not used to working to NASA rules, so the training doesn't go fantastically well, but they kind of get them trained in the end. Uh, and they, they go up in two space shuttles, and um, there's... A, it, again, it, you know, you, you, you're watching the movie and you, you, you watch this movie and you expect it's going to go by the numbers and every time you think it's going to go by the numbers, it, it does something different. Um, and there's a really a, a quite, a, you know, very, very funny sequence where they launch these two military shuttles. And like they right next re- to each other. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, there's the, look, I mean, don't, we'll talk in a minute about, you know, some yeah, of the sus- sus- Yeah, well, yeah, oh, suspend your... You just have to, you have to throw all that out the window. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's about the ride. Yep. you got to yeah. have fun. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, they launch these two shuttles, and they need to refuel them to get to the asteroid. And so they dock, they arrange to dock with the uh, one of these Russian space stations, one of these ones that, you know, is up there for years and years. And there's right. this one crazy old uh, Russian cosmonaut on there, and this this... This space station is literally falling to pieces. Oh, yeah. I mean, this guy is pounding on things. And don't they call it Mir? They actually call uh, it Mir. I, I can't remember what they called it Mir. I do. I do remember hearing that the after the film came out, the Russians were really, really pissed. Yeah. And they actually banned the movie in Russia, and um, you know, basically, just really didn't feel that that this was, you know, because it it is kind of, you know, it, the the. the the space station is falling apart, and the, uh, the 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 American astronauts are very worried about you know refueling from this thing, and and the Russians going, oh, what are you going to do? You know, it's no problem, and all this sort of thing. And sure enough, before you know it, this thing blows up, and they and the they gas to... lines that they plug in are all <laughs> leaking, and, and and stuff fall all over the place. And he beats on things to get it to work. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. and so. Um, so yeah, they have to take off with this guy, and and then they get out to the asteroid, and you know, of course, the the drama is things start to go wrong. You know, one of the one of the um, shuttles crashes, and then the one that the one that survives, uh, they can't, they they land in the wrong place, and the the asteroid iron is, ore. Is, yeah, the asteroid is is too solid, and they're, they're struggling right. to drill it, and the, so the the whole the whole thing kind of leads up to uh, you know the and then the military guys. Who are who are uh, on the shuttle have a have a fallback plan if things go wrong, which is basically just blow everybody up. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense because it's not going to do the job, but that's what they're going to do anyway. Yep. And if you've ever seen um, the Abyss with with yes, um, like the Abyss. yeah, where he goes, um, where the uh, the military guy goes a bit crazy, is going to set off the bomb. He's exactly the same. So it was up. the same guy that was in Terminator. That's right. Yeah. So um, so yeah so. This is how it goes, and, and of course, you know, the idea is is that they they save the day at the end um, with it with a bit of sacrifice uh, and a bit of teamwork and a bit of good luck. Uh, you know, everything comes out okay, and uh, you know, with these any any time you've got one of these teams, you know, half of them aren't going to make it to the end of the movie. And That's of right. Course this is what happens, um, but you know, it really builds up to a, a to a really great climax, uh, and um, you know, you get that that classic. Um, Michael Bay, Jerry Bruckheimer scene at the end of the movie where you know all the heroes are striding in slow motion, having saved the day. And you know, it is it, it's as I think as you said at the start, Tim. It's one of those movies where uh, you, you know it's crap. It is. Yeah, it's this. Cra- it's, it's a crappy of, movie, yeah, but you can't you help but the, like it. You know that the producers are, are playing your emotions and playing your, uh, you know, you know, really getting you g'd up with the music you know, and everything else. You know what? Else. I, and yet. You, you, don't care. I, I challenge any guy to watch that movie and not get choked up even a little bit when Liv Tyler 
is saying goodbye to her daddy on the monitors in Mission Control when it's evident that he's going to sacrifice his life to stop the asteroid by manually setting off the thermonuclear bomb, which, by the way, is what they also use in Independence Day, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, And, by the way, that's why it's a geek movie, because they use the ultimate geek weapon, I guess you could say, to, to save the day, a nuclear bomb. Biggest geeks of all time created it, Einstein. So, well, part partly. <laughs> Let's we'll save that for another time. Um, but when when she's saying goodbye to him, and you realize he's going to die, you you get choked up there. At least I do. Maybe I'm yeah, just I, a, I, I, well, every time. I, I saw people crying at the end of that movie, and um, I'm sure none of them would admit it today. But. Oh, no, of course not. But but you know, from a a geek standpoint, if I remember, and this was one of the cool things that I thought when when I was watching it, man, those were the coolest shuttles. I mean, those shuttles are like, you know, they're like redesigned and and looked a little bit better, the ones they were using in CG. And and I thought those things were really cool. And and that was the thing that Michael Bay did and that he was able to get accomplished in this movie, which geeks will really appreciate. And that was that this was the first movie that the cast was allowed to use genuine NASA spacesuits. Yep. These, the, the cast had only they, they as civilians they, they never had the opportunity to ever no civilian ever had the opportunity to use those things and they cost three million bucks a pop. No, they cost ten million dollars a pop. Well, they had the original suits and then they had other suits, ten millions, and then there was there was a ten million one that they used on the set. Then there were some other one, according to what I looked at, some three million ones as well. But yeah, I've got that quote that here. Were, it says uh, one of the first movies ever to shoot in NASA's natural buoyancy lab, a sixty-five million. gallon 40 foot deep pool used to train astronauts for weightlessness and use of two 10 million dollar spacesuits the crew was also allowed to shoot in the historic launch pad that went out of service after apollo one disaster and parts of the movie were filmed at the edwards air force base in california so i mean nasa really went out of their way to accommodate this movie shoot which you don't usually see and by the way which did not happen in independence day in fact um there was a, a big controversy when that movie came out that uh, the military uh, initially had said that they were going to uh, allow some real footage and, and uh, military bases. And then when it came out that a military base actually gets destroyed by the alien fleet, they backed out of it and said no. Mm. And uh, Armageddon is actually used by NASA today as a training movie. Is it really? Uh, yeah, but not not because of the spacesuits. It's because of the 168 and count them uh, scientific inaccuracies in the movie. <laughs> and basically, it's shown it's shown to uh, to new recruits at NASA to basically dispel um, all of the Hollywood myths about what it's like to work and operate in space. So, um, I, you know, I, I said before that there are some inaccuracies. 168 is apparently the uh, the running tally. 168 impossible things shown in the movie. Wow. So that's um, amazing. Was, and, and, you know, yeah, the whole it, slingshot it, around the moon and then well, actually exactly, landing yeah. on uh, an yeah, asteroid and, and, and then asteroid taking that, off that has again. gravity. Yes. Yeah, take, <laughs> <laughs> this, this thing has, has low gravity, even though it's not particularly big. Um, the fact that they can get there and back so quickly. Well, they did establish, <laughs> though, that it's the size of Texas. Yeah, yeah, I think so, even that. But is, that's uh, pretty tiny compared to other heavenly bodies. I mean, yeah, and well, plus there's the, there's the thing as well that if you blow up a nuclear bomb inside an asteroid, you wouldn't split it in two. No, uh, and even if you did split it in two, both 
both two pieces will continue to go in the same direction. Yes. <laughs> You're not going to send them round. Uh, no. But, you know, but the point is, it is really the movie is not about that. It's about no, uh, it the fact that, you know, the... the, the uh, it's a popcorn you know, movie. I it mean, is, exactly. it, 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 a lot of people try to make movies out to be more important than what they are. Now, there are some important movies. I would say Schindler's List. Uh, and then there's other movies that people try to pretend are important films, like The Godfather, and they're not. Uh, they're meant to be one thing and one thing only. Uh, a money-making machine for the studios and popcorn entertainment, entertainment. for us. That's all right. they're about. And so looking at it in, in that context, I love movies. Yeah. Even bad movies that other people hate, sometimes I will still like that movie. Because if it entertains me, that's all I care about. Now, if it's an important movie and wins all these Academy Awards, and I'm in a half hour within this movie and I'm not enjoying myself, it's a crappy movie. I don't care how important it is. And, you know... Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's too much stuff going on in the world that, that doesn't entertain us. Let's just put it that way. When I see a movie, whether it's at home or I go to the theater... I want to be entertained, you know, and that's one of the things that I that I remember about Armageddon, seeing it for the first time, was that it was larger than life, which, again, is Jerry Bockheimer, Michael Bay. I mean, they just bring everything. They, they, they overdo everything, and they the, the effects were awesome in it. And there was enough, even though there's all these problems that people want to come up with, with inaccuracies, there's enough believability in it to keep me interested, you know, and, and I think that was the great thing that they did. Yeah, I, I I think that Armageddon accomplished for for me personally exactly what it set out to do. It was a, a, a kick ass movie that when you left, you were happy to see it, and it exactly. was one of those movies that you're going to talk about the next day. Dude, I went yeah. and saw this movie Armageddon last night. It was cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for me and in Armageddon, the standout performance though would have to be uh, Steve Buscemi. Oh God, he yes. Is, that this was the first time I'd really seen him do this. You know, that whole crazy, you know, on, right on the edge of it thing. And he was and kind he was of that, to, but not quite in Reservoir Dogs. I mean, that's yeah, when I really yeah, took notice the, of him. But when I saw Armageddon, I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs. So this was the first time I'd ever seen him uh-huh. do this. Uh, and you know, I just thought, well, really, really, I mean, it, you know, it really is, it really is a, a masterpiece of acting. I think he really is very good in it. And you know, the thing is, he is such a good actor. If you look at a lot of the stuff he's done, he can play the crazy guy really good. Um, and I don't think it's just because of his teeth, <laughs> no. it's in, or his bug eyes. He really, I mean, he's such a good actor. But then yeah. when he pulls it in, and he's a little quieter, like. Uh, his reoccurring role in The Sopranos for a while there. I think he was in season five. Um, he was great in The Sopranos, and he wasn't like that at all. But it, again, you know, I think this is part of the success of Armageddon is the fact it does have such a very strong cast. You know, it's, we've got people in there who are, who are Oscar nominated. Um, you know, we've got people there who are well established. You know, you, you talk about Billy Bob Thornton, he's well established as, a, as an actor with great chops. But he really wasn't and, at the time. This was 1998. A lot of these people, this was kind of their breakout role. This is the one that got a lot of notice. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan, he had been in a lot of things up to this point, but this was the one that most people really took notice of him. Um, he got a lot of work after this one. Absolutely. He began, yeah. Ben yeah. Affleck was a nobody up until this right. point. I mean, his the biggest role that he had probably had up to this point was Chasing Amy, a Kevin Smith movie. And it and was it, a great movie, but... He was not an he, action star. He, he done, yeah. Well, he done no. He was an action star. He done Goodwill Hunting the year before. Yes, but Goodwill Hunting they? wasn't the type of movie that's going to land him 
uh, big blockbuster type of, of films in the future. Uh, yeah, I think definitely took a chance on him in this one. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think and Ben Affleck was a standout in this movie. I know I know it's very popular now. A couple of years ago, even more so, when he was with Jennifer, whatever her name is. Um, what was her name? The J Lo. J Lo. Can't stand yeah. her. Um, I know it was real popular at the time, and it still is sometimes to a lot of people now to 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 hate on Ben Affleck. I like Ben Affleck. I think he's a really good actor. Um, right. I, I think that he he just had a raw deal with all the negative publicity. But when he comes out in a movie, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll watch that. I don't have yeah, anything yeah. against Ben Affleck. I think he's I think he's great. I yeah. think also looking at the movie, obviously the 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 guy, the glue that kept it all together, Bruce Willis did an awesome job. But you know, you take him back to Die Hard, and you know, and he's got he's he had cred for this type of a movie, and I think he did really well in it, kind of bringing everybody together. He was a little more low key, obviously. Than the than the character in Die Hard, but uh, he I, I really like I look for the Bruce Willis movies. He does a good job. It's about everything he's in. You know, another actor that was in this and he kind of had a bit part, more comic relief than anything, but became a really big actor in the two thousands is Owen Wilson. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. I mean, and he he does the whole um, I'm Han Solo. You're I'm not. What do you mean I'm Chewy? I'm not. If anybody, you're Chewy. What have you even seen Star Wars? I mean, he, he plays a great role uh, in this movie. Really fun. So Armageddon, nineteen ninety eight, made half a billion dollars worldwide. Um, I, I really liked it. Did you know, guys? The list of demands that the the miners give NASA to agree to do this. Uh, the actors actually wrote those out themselves and gave them to Bruce Willis. <laughs> so the whole thing was pretty much improv. Like the one guy doesn't want to pay taxes again ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you know, and another thing with uh, Michael <coughs> Bay, which gives you a kind of a little indication of his sense of humor. And I think this is something that geeks really kind of uh, get into. And that is, you know, we all love Easter eggs, you know. Yep. And whether, wherever that might be, and so there's a there's a couple little homages or Easter eggs that they gave. The space shuttle Freedom's armadillo—that's the little car that they were in—that they would they would they would drive around on the surface. That that one that uh, was from the Freedom. That one contained a Terminator robot inside of it. You well, know, the, the head, the head—it's yeah, on the, the gear shift, right in there. Yeah, yeah. which I thought was really cool. Did you know and that then, the uh, regarding the the film's premise, Ben Affleck asked director Michael Bay, "Wouldn't be wouldn't it be easier for NASA to train astronauts how to drill rather than training drillers to be astronauts?" Shut up. <laughs> yeah, he told him to shut up. <laughs> That's classic. Yeah. Did you know that uh, according to the special edition DVD, Kevin Costner was originally supposed to play the Bruce Willis role? Yeah, and uh, Liv Tyler re- actually uh, refused the role a couple of times before she accepted it. You know, um, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck, I think they're a really good couple on screen. They're, I don't know. There's something about them. They were also in Jersey Girl, yeah. which yeah. is also a Kevin Smith movie. And another one that a lot of people always say that, you know, oh, that movie sucked. And I, I like Jersey Girl. I think it's a really yeah, cute movie. Um I don't know. Do you think Kevin Costner could have pulled that off? I do. I personally think that um, while Bruce Willis was a really good candidate for this role, I don't think the movie would have been any worse with Kevin Costner. And Kevin Costner, by the way, is yet another actor, just like Ben Affleck, that everyone seems to always want to you know, diss and put down. But I, yeah. I personally like Kevin Costner. I, I think that... The Postman is a, is a great movie. Dances with Wolves, man. Oh, Dances with Wolves is a great movie. I mean, yeah. I like Kevin Costner. But, uh, you see, it was only after Dances with Wolves that people started to put Kevin Costner down because 
you know, I think a lot of people envied his success. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and maybe maybe he became a little bit overexposed. But how um, about the Presidio? That's, oh, that's a good movie. Up. That in fact yeah. that had Meg Ryan in it. Mm-hmm. Early, early Meg. Ryan. Very early Meg. Well, yeah. You know, I, early I mean, Meg I, I, Ryan. It's, so, <laughs> talking of Kevin Costner, I, I really enjoyed Waterworld. I thought it was I an did okay too. movie. I well, I, I liked yeah. it other than uh, the main character villain. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, D- Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Hopper. And I like Dennis Hopper. Yeah. But he overacted in that movie like crazy. Had he yeah. played it more like the role he did in Speed, then mm-hmm. I would have liked it even more. But it was just kind of over the top. Um, but he is a good he is a good villain though. He well, he, he's easy writer. He has to be, man. You no. Know, yeah. He's 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 on a par with uh you know, some of the better villains I think that we've seen uh over the over the years and the way he can pull it off and just kind of pull that out of them, you know? Speaking of villains, some of the best villains in uh, science fiction, I think, were the aliens in our next movie, Independence Day. This came out in 1996, July 2nd. It was actually supposed to come out July 3rd, but there was so much demand to see this that theaters started running it on July 2nd. Um, took $75 million to make, so uh, almost half the money that Armageddon made, and yet it made 817 million dollars worldwide that's a lot of money folks but let's let's talk about independence day or id4 as all the commercials at the time were saying i i remember this was this was the first in certainly my memory anyway the first really big event movie yes where instead of yeah instead of being just a summer blockbuster this was the one that everyone was waiting for and they started trailing it months before it came out yeah i would say jaws would probably fit in that category. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pro- you know, Jaws I, is the one that started the whole summer blockbuster. Yeah, but the, as I say, I, th- I think, I think the the difference is that is that this was actually, you know, it was it was more than just the blockbuster. It really was the, you know, this was the one everyone was waiting for. Um, in fact, they and, used and the, internet and, marketing in 1996. Yeah. They used the internet to market this movie, and yeah, that was, was unheard was, of. There was websites, wasn't wasn't there, and there was games you could play and everything. Yeah, there was a and whole I remember thing. The, and, yeah. the first the trailer, you know, the first time you saw um, the the special effects of them starting to destroy the cities in the trailers. Yeah, you know, people just like went absolutely crazy. And I remember when it came out, they they were they. I mean, you know, here in the UK, it was it was it was on the BBC News when it came out. You know, it was actually a news story that Independence Day had come out. They were running footage on the TV, you know, and, and, and you know, that, that had never happened no, before it, in my it, memory. It was an amazing marketing campaign leading up to the release of this movie. Um, unlike Armageddon, ID4 actually has a really good soundtrack. And oh, I remember, I re- oh, I, I love it. And we're going to play uh, two bits from it here in a second. But. The main theme is one of the most patriotic songs that I've ever heard. And, and you know, the, it's, yeah, it's yes, com- I know where you're going. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the, the composer David Arnold is a British is a British composer, yep. and yet this this movie soundtrack is hailed as one of the most uh, sort of American inspirational pieces of music ever ever written. Yep, and it is. It's well, I don't. I, I, it kind of bugs me that people say American. I would say more of a, a theme for freedom. And I don't think that's it, a uniquely yeah, it, American it, it, theme. 
yeah, but it, I mean, the movie itself is is obviously ad- with the name Independence Day. It is. I mean, one of the things it was criticised for was being, you know, somewhat uh, American patriotic. Yeah, it was very nationalistic. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think the music did try and reflect some of that. You know. Well, and you, well, you know, the, the president of the United States, um, uh, Bill Pullman, plays President Thomas Whitmore. His speech is one of the cheesiest speeches I've ever heard in any movie, but yet every single time I hear it, I could totally get why the people standing there would be just psyched up about it. I mean, and you know, this is our Independence Day, and we're not going to go quietly into the night. And, and of you know, course, he doesn't hurt that he's going to go jump into and, a jet afterwards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a la George Bush getting a, hitching a ride to Mission Accomplished. <laughs> 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 but uh, speaking of the movie and the music, uh, let's take a, a quick break, and I'm going to play. This is the bad guy music. This is the the sound that you hear, the music that you hear when you first are kind of introduced to these huge spaceships breaking through the atmosphere. So let's take a break and briefly listen to uh, a little bit of mu- music from uh, ID4. So that's uh, David Arnold, right? Yep. I'm I'm sorry. That music is. It sounds like bad guys. It very much yeah. reminds me of the music in Star Wars when you were seeing the Empire. When you're hearing Darth, it's not quite the Darth Vader dun 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 dun, dun but it is very reminiscent of that. And yeah. most oh, music. Yeah. In movies nowadays, it's just canned stuff, but this is just brilliant soundtrack. Well, and that's the thing. It was kind of old school in that it was it was an actual soundtrack prepared as he was viewing the movie and, and being composed on the fly, which is, again, it goes back to Star Wars. That's the way that the old school movies were composed instead of just dropping in popular songs here and there. Well, don't you whatnot. think that that makes it timeless when you use exactly. the current pop song, the big hit out there, like they did in Armageddon? When you use original composed music with a full orchestra, like Star Wars did, like ID4 did, it makes it timeless. It doesn't. It doesn't nail this movie at 1996 or in Star yeah. Wars in 1977. I mean, it makes it even more grand. What do you think, David? No, I, I agree, and, and I think you know the an important part of this type of film. If you if you want to really sort of stir the heartstrings and get people's emotions pumping and everything, it, you know sometimes for some movies you might not notice the music while you're actually watching the movie, but you know it's a very very important part of of the overall sort of construction of the piece. You know, yeah, I mean the music as, can add depth to it it can add feeling it can heighten whatever it's supposed to be or it could be a contradiction 
and particularly in a movie like this where, you know, because of the nature of it, the characterizations, you know, they're not particularly deep. There's only a few of the characters who you get to really any more than just the very shallowest of backgrounds. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and unlike Armageddon, the script in this movie, I think, was nowhere near as tight uh, as, as that in Armageddon. And certainly, you know, not all of the performances were, were top-notch at all. But, um, but nevertheless, the, you know, as a, as, a, as a completed piece, if you bring together the, the special effects and the, the epic story and the music and everything else, you know, it, it's something that really, really works. Uh, speaking well, of the music, let's go ahead and play the main theme from uh, Independence Day, and then uh, we'll talk about the movie in, in more depth. So hold on a second, guys. I mean, it's 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 epic. I mean, it's it's. I I can't even say enough good things about. I'm almost speechless. It's so good. I mean, that's what you want in a movie of this scale and this scope, isn't it, David? It is. David Arnold's work is is probably somewhat underrated in the industry. I mean, he he works he he worked with uh, Emmerich and Devlin, the producer of this movie, on Stargate and wrote the music for that. And of course, you know that is a you know, a very memorable also piece of music that's that's really stood the test of time, been used in all the TV series and everything. Um, and he's worked on the last five Bond movies as well. So this is a guy who, uh, you know, can really pull it off. But I think this is one of his, one of his you know, recognised as one of the high points of his career in terms of the, um, you know, of what, what he contributed to this picture. You know, and you know what we were talking about before, Tim, you know, the, the, the whole point is, uh, a soundtrack like this is really a major part of the storytelling. That's Absolutely. One of the things that's, that's been lost today is that by just dropping in all the popular songs, kind of going towards the popular I don't culture, know. You, if you, you if lose you, that. You lose I, that aspect. I, I don't know if they're they're losing it or they're just the... Look at the latest Star Wars movies. They had great, once again, John Williams music. But again, uh, if you it's look compo- at, composed, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but, but that's you, recent, yeah, though. I mean, it, some people can pull it off. If you look at the what um, what Hans Zimmer did with the Dark Knight, for instance, the absolutely. Music really, you know the, the 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 music in there. I actually listened to that as a soundtrack just just recently, and um, you know, really, really great great score again. So there are people out there doing it, but uh, and that's what I'm know. talking about is the scoring. You know, when you when you use the music as an element to tell the story to prepare somebody for something that's about to happen or to heighten the senses, you know, that's really a throwback to the way it used to be done. I, I'm kind of referring back to, you know, days when when the score was such a major part. I love that that's coming back in these movies and it's becoming a part of telling the story, you know? I don't know if it ever yeah. really went away. I just think that uh, maybe we just didn't notice. Because, I mean, yeah. what, did Transformers even have uh, 
I'm, I'm trying to remember if the Transformers the trans- the movie Transformers had that. was all was all. It, I mean, it did have a score, but it was a rock score. So uh. it's it's you know the the problem with rock music over orchestral music is it is it's really hard. Particularly, there's no singing in it. It's really hard for it to stick in your memory. Yeah. Um. And um. You know, there's Unless something it's really about good. yeah. There's something about having having you know the full orchestra. Um, you know, and uh, you know, a Dolby soundtrack, and, and have it all time with the movie that that really makes, um, you know, really adds something to it. It's a really great contrast between if you if you just stop and think about Armageddon. Okay, those are all great songs, majority of them in, in and of themselves. Well, actually, but Armageddon they're... did have an orchestra opening. Uh, I actually, yeah, I listened to it before we recorded the show, but it was completely not memorable at all. I mean, I'm listening to it going, oh yeah, I, I guess I did remember that, but. Wow, like what I'm talking about is that those songs are dropped in there, and you know those songs are in there by Aerosmith and, and some of the other ones. They're great songs. I love to listen to them. But when you have a score, and that score then is being, you know, the, the tempos are being raised and lowered, and, and with the action in the movie, and it's and it's specifically matched to it. It really it really brings out all those emotions that you want in that movie. And I love that. You know, David, and, uh, let's break it off on a tangent for just a second. Because sure. we just had the Academy Awards, which I didn't watch mm-hmm. this year. Um, number one, I think that actors congratulating other actors and deciding who's the best and, and making movies into a big horse race. I'm just tired of it. And it doesn't yeah. mean anything to me anymore. Um, and too many times, the best pitcher is never rewarded as the best pitcher. And I think that was a big problem for me this year, which is one of the reasons I didn't watch the Academy Awards. If The Dark Knight isn't up for an Academy Award as Best Picture. Something is yeah. wrong with Hollywood. And I'm not talking about just because Heath Ledger died. Because yeah. he was honored. Yeah, well, um, yeah, he but, was. And, and, you know, you, you do find yourself wondering, had would, had he not died like that, would he have been up for the Best Support? Would he have been nominated for the Best right. Supporting Actor? Because um, it was a superhero movie. Exactly. but And that's my problem. The Best Movie of 2007, there was two of them for me. The Dark Knight, which if you'd have taken Batman out of it and called the Joker any other name, it would have worked just as well. I mean, yeah. it really it was a noir movie. It really wasn't a superhero movie. Um, it had more to do, I think, with like Midnight Express than any superhero movie before. I mean, it was yeah. it was an amazing film. But Definitely the, a departure from the normal batman type movies and an improvement yeah well yeah but it wasn't a departure from the character i mean that movie is basically what the comic books are like um and i think the more the more hollywood decides to treat the characters of superhero universes the way they're treated in the comic books the movies would be a lot better with the darker side you know no it's not just no 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 it's not just the darker side absolutely not because if you look at iron man Iron Man yeah. is another one that I really enjoyed this year, and it didn't go it didn't go dark at all. It went just the opposite, but it was just like the comic book, which is what made yeah. it so good. Plus, they had a really good actor. But um, right. so Dark Knight definitely should have been on that list, and quite honestly, for me, so should Wall-E, just for the yeah. themes alone. Well, like, yeah, I was reading online about this, and and you know they they were talking about Wall-E and saying, well, why why does the the Academy have this animated film Ghetto? Yeah, exactly. You know, because, uh, oh, it's just because it's uh, you know, I mean, they, they oh, it's don't a kiddie movie, so we'll put. Well, they yeah, don't they, take them seriously. It, it's not, it, but it, it's not, it's not nominated. They take the, they take the profits that those movies make seriously. 
Exactly. Yeah. And it, uh, but the thing is, it's not nominated as a children's film. It's nominated as an animated film. And, and if you think about it nowadays, that doesn't make any sense. Because no, when you put Wally against Bolt, come on. Exactly. Come on, that's but that, retarded. But, that, but, that's, but that's, 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 that's part of it. But it's not just that. I mean, you know... If you if you were to take something like The Dark Knight and then I don't know you take um, Mamma Mia, which is a musical, right? Those are three three different films made in three different ways for three different audiences. But why is the is the animated film singled out as a having to go its own category, whereas the other ones could potentially be up for nomination as Best Picture? Right. Just because it's an animated film, why does it have to go into its own category rather than be up for best? Potentially be up for best picture because animation is just a, it's a, it's a style of making a movie and it's particularly nowadays, you know. Yeah, particularly nowadays with with CGI. The one of the things about Wally and the way it was made, it was even though it was all rendered, it was shot, it was storyboarded, it was rendered as if they were using a camera. Yes. And, you know, so effectively, even though it was it was CGI manufactured, it was actually made just the same way they would have made any other movie. So why does it have to be stuck in an animated category? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Now, now don't um, you agree, you know, David, though, that the problem is the Academy Awards itself. That's where the problem lies. Well, yeah, because it's, it's a political organization and, you know, it's, it's, it's heavily lobby-dependent. Uh, lobby and, um, you know, they, there, there is a whole campaign behind certain movies to get either the movies or the actors nominated. It's all about boosting the movie's profits and making money. And, um, you know, it's, it's a shame. And, and, of course, you know, up until recently, a lot of people didn't, didn't have any sort of exposure to that sort of process. I mean, I, I heard somebody... I was listening to some podcasts today, and, and they were, again, talking about Wally. They were saying that um, it was nominated, along with The Dark Knight, for, um, for um, a sound direction. And yeah. sound editing and the Dark Knight one, and the, I, I think it was uh, on Mac Break Week actually. Was, uh, Andy Nutka was saying he just couldn't understand that, and for him that's where the Oscars jumped to sharp because the whole point about Wally is the first twenty minutes. There's no vocals. There is, there is no there dialogue. Is no dialogue. No. It is all about the performance and the sound. Well, that's and technically not true that, because if you, if you look at some of the. Uh, what's the one actor's name? You actually see him talking a little bit, so it's not quite true that there's no dialogue yeah, but, at all. But yeah, but effectively, there's there's, right. there's very there's very little dialogue. And what 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 the guy was saying was, how can the Dark Knight won the Oscar for for sound editing? And you know, well, he said, you know, while the the Dark Knight was was a terrific movie, and the sound sound editing was obviously a part of that, it wasn't anywhere near the achievement of keeping an audience engaged for 20, 25 minutes with virtually no dialogue. Here's the, here's and, the gauge you know, for me. You put Wally up on the screen and let an audience watch it. 500,000 people. And then you put Slumdog Millionaire up there and let 500,000 people watch it. Which movie will the vast majority of the people say they enjoyed more? I bet you it's Wally. Well, Probably. yeah, of course. If you just go back and you look at what Pixar and John Lasseter have done with the movies that they've produced over the years, they're masterpieces. And there have been some some uh, awards that they've won, Academy and otherwise. But, I mean, how can you say that the work and the storytelling that go into those movies is any less than any of these other movies? You know, if you look into our Ustream chat room right now, and as we usually do with the MyMac podcast, Geekiest Show Ever, we're also broadcasting live on Ustream just uh, go up to geekiestshowever.com and you'll find the link to the Ustream chat. They're all saying the same thing we are. Wally, much better movie. Yeah. 
And I haven't yeah. seen, to be quite fair, I haven't seen Slumdog Millionaire at all. Um, I don't think I've even seen a commercial for it. But I'm sorry, Wally was a phenomenal movie. It, it had CGI characters that had more depth and more realism to them than most movies that I see in the last 10 years. It was yeah. so good. Wally couldn't smile. He could barely talk. Um, but yet he conveyed so much emotion. But he had yeah. a heart. Yeah. I uh, mean, and, and again, you know, was, was Brad Pitt nominated for Benjamin Button this time around? Yes. Right. Yeah, Benjamin well, Button had quite a few nominations, I think. Well, yeah, but the thing is, Benjamin Button effectively was a was an animated performance. Yes, it was all CGI done. So, uh, so what's what's really the difference? I mean, this is the, this is the problem. I think you know the Academy's going to face going forward with some of these artificial um, categories they have. Is you know what's the real difference cool. between a movie there where the the main character is pri- is primarily CGI performed by an actor that's been been turned into CGI between something that that Pixar does, which effectively is a team of animators and a director uh, controlling a character via CGI. And, and I think one of the things that you know is the big elephant in the room, and, and that is, and this has been happening over uh, a number of Academy Awards and some of the other award shows as well. And that is, you know, it needs to stop being politicized. It, you know, go there, it's entertainment value. If you have an, a political opinion, there's another avenue for that. There's another venue for that. Go there and talk about what you're there to talk about. Don't don't let the whole thing become politicized because that's really what a lot of these things like Slum Dogs and and some of the other things, you know, it's more politically correct to vote for a movie like that than Wall-E. And okay. you know what? If we could move the the politics out of it and just come together and do it now, Sean you know, Penn, for the right reasons. Sean Penn won this year for his character Harvey Milk. I'm right. sure he did a great job. Sean Penn is an awesome actor. Right. Um, I personally, I think his best role is so far was in I Am Sam. Um, that being said, and I haven't seen Milk yet, and I will. But I did see one of the movies that the best actor was up for, and that was The Wrestler, Mickey Rourke. Have you guys right. seen The Wrestler yet? No, I haven't seen clips from it. Clips from it. My God, dude, this is a fantastic movie. Um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, it, yeah. it's so good. And at least he was Mickey Rourke was nominated. Right. I can't say how good Sean Penn did as Milk or or. Brad Pitt did in A Curious Case for Benjamin Button, but I can't believe either one of them did a better job than Mickey Rourke. I mean, his character was so good. He, his, he was brilliant in the role. And I think that, well, you know, it, it, that all goes back to what you were saying, Mark. It's politics. That's why yeah. Sean Penn, as Milk, a, a, a gay activist in San Francisco, is a politician, right. which, by the way, I support, but that's why he, sure. won the, he won the Academy Award for the role that he was playing yeah. In today's There's climate. nothing wrong with supporting it, those no, positions. It's just but it a should win of, an award because of it. It should win an award, and that show should not be about that. I'm talking yeah. about the Oscars and whatnot. I, Mickey, I'm sick Mickey of the Oscars. Mickey Rook was he, – he received a BAFTA, which is the British Academy. Um, for, well deserved. Uh, he, he got Best Actor for The Wrestler. Dude, um, I'm telling you, it, it was so good. The Wrestler – I used to watch professional wrestling, I don't know, I, I Two decades ago, I mean, back in the day, back in the day, <laughs> and I, I, of course, I knew it was fake, and it was like a big soap opera right. to me, but it was still fun to watch. It was entertainment, and so you know, this movie shows what happens to one of those guys 
20 years later. Yeah, the burnout side. Yeah. Well, it's not it's not a really a, a, the burnout side. It's just that his career is over and he's not healthy and um I but what's next. I, dude, I got to tell you, Marissa Tomei's in this movie too and she does an awesome job. But she has a practically completely nude multiple scenes in it. She just has a G-string. That's it. It what is Marissa Tomei in her 40s now? Yeah. Oh my god, be. dude. I'm telling you. <laughs> she's still, she's still, she's still got to go on the show. Oh my goodness, 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 can goodness I just, gracious. Can I just say to everybody while while we're on the subject of movies uh, and these movies that we're talking about, um you want to see an awesome movie taken. If you haven't seen it, see it. Taken. I haven't seen it yet. That's an awesome movie. It looks Highly good. recommend. You know, here's the thing, guys. I don't go to the movie theater hardly ever anymore. In fact, the last movie I went and saw and this was at the insistence of my uh, five-year-old daughter because she really – she kept seeing the ads on Cartoon Network and she just had to go, had to go. And that was uh, The Clone Wars from Star Wars, which was an atrociously bad movie. I mean, it we'll, we'll have a Star Wars show, one show that's yeah. nothing but Star Wars. Did but, she enjoy it? Uh, yeah, she did. And, and that's the demographic. There you go. But it was such a bad – they had a, a Jabba the Hutt-like Hutt character – that spoke with a Creole accent. I'm like, what the oh, hell? Nice. I, it would, dude, it was so bad. I mean, Did you watch the real movies? You know? Oh, I, I sat there and I'm just like, I can't believe anybody at LucasArts thought this was a good idea. I mean, it was just, it was horrible. It just horrible. But um, So I don't usually go to movies, but the next movie I am definitely going to is The Watchmen. I have to see it on the big screen. Mm. I know it's going to be awesome. Um I know how the story goes. I, I've read the comic probably 50 times. I love The Watchmen. It's one of my the favorite comics of awesome. all time. And, and it looks like the comic book, too. I mean, it really, really does. I wonder how successful it will be because I think the, the vast majority of the people out there don't even know what The Watchmen are or why this is such a defining comic that it really turned the comic book industry on its ear and changed everything. It yeah. led to the creation of you know The Dark Knight, what Frank Miller was doing. Um Sin City. I mean, the Watchmen really blazed a trail for for some of the more popular stuff that we see now, like Powers and Transmetropolitan and The Preacher and um, The Boys, like David and I were talking about earlier. Why the Last Man Standing? This uh, you could trace all those right back to the Watchmen. That's where it all started. But let's get back to Independence Day since that's kind of the the focus yeah. of this segment before we should wrap we, up the show. We, should we just run the run th- quickly run through the plot? Um, sure, let's let's just for do anyone that. who's not seen it. Yeah, well, let's say so, Will Smith is the the main star of the, the movie. And the funny thing is, up until this point, Will Smith really wasn't a big star. No, um, this, this I think this was what this turned him into a star. This, this movie, and I mean, then the one that he did after this, a little movie called Men in Black. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. But I, don't, I don't know whether he would have got whether he would have. He, no, there's Black absolutely no way, no way. He, he, you know. And he was a great character in it. He didn't play the Fresh Prince. I mean, he, he was uh, an adult. This was the first time that most people really saw Will Smith as an adult. And he played a great role. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And, and you know, and he yeah. he wasn't asked to do a lot in this movie. But just, you know, when he's going to the bathroom and looks out the window. <laughs> I mean, I, right. Well, I, I think that's, this is one of the things for me in this, is that the fact is, is that, yeah, you're right, he doesn't have an awful lot to do. He's an important part of the plot, but, you know, I'm, to be fair... To be fair to him, and I think everyone else in the movie, as I say, you know, I think all of the characters in the movie are fairly sketchily, you know, um, laid out. Despite that, he 
you know, he really carries, in my opinion, every scene he's in. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he, he, he just basically acted his socks off. And, yeah, but and didn't, didn't Jeff Goldblum do the same thing? I mean... Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, really. The thing is, Jeff Goldblum, you knew. I mean, the the point is, is is when I was watching it, Jeff Goldblum, you knew the sort of performance he was going to bring because, you know, I'd seen him in, in plenty of his other movies. But he know, always and, plays and the same character too. The same kind yeah. of character, you know. He, yeah. he he he's he excels as playing the the quirky genius, the guy who yeah. can who's got it all figured out in his head, but you know, nerdy communicating. Yeah, it the, the, the role sort of he plays in this is exactly the same role he played in Jurassic Park. Exactly. Yeah, and and the same role that he played in The Fly, yeah. and you know, he's yeah. that. But that's that's his thing, and you know yeah. what? That's his niche. The point is, is that is that despite that, you know, Will Smith, every scene he's in, he basically is, he, you know, you can't take your eyes off no, him. No, absolutely, it's absolutely fantastic. And I have to say, you know, given the material that he had to work with, which you know, if it, if it was played wrong, really would would have been terrible. You know, he he kind of you know he he really turns it to something that that is a there's a great performance. The scene where he, uh, you know, where he crashes the plane. So that, I said said we'd run through the plot. So the plot of the movie you can boil it down to fairly quickly. Um, out of nowhere, eight massive alien ships appear over all the cities in the world, uh, and um, you know nobody knows what the hell's going on. And uh, Jeff Goldblum's character is a is a, uh, a cable repair a guy. guy. <laughs> he, is a t- he works in a TV station. He yeah. he he sees this signal and realizes that the aliens are, are probably you know counting down to an attack. And he tries to tell people, and, and you know nobody really believes him. And anyway, sure enough, at, at the appointed time, all the alien ships open up and fire down these beams. Which just lay waste to the cities right. underneath them. And this was which really the, the first which is movie. the scene for all the advertising. You know? Oh, absolutely. Exactly. And this yeah. was really and, the and, first you know, the movie. And standout special effects. Yeah. So, so, so you know, uh, obviously the. Let me get this in real quick, David. This is the yeah. first movie where mass destruction of historical, real world places depicted exactly. accurately, like the White House in New York City, and, and just completely leveled. Right. We yeah. have never seen that in movies at. It, that look that real. I mean, when the White House blows up, you're like, holy crap. Right. When, when there's, <laughs> Did that actually happen? Yeah, no. when their fireballs are just rolling through Washington and New York and taxi cabs are just flipping over and you know, exploding. And we've never seen that before. I mean, it was it was an event movie, like you said, David. Yeah. And, and it really just blew people away. They're like, holy crap. You know, yeah. thank God that they didn't film this and try to release it in like late two thousand and one because I don't think they ever would have released this movie. Right. Yeah. Timing was important. So, um, so, so Will Smith is a pilot who's trying to take on these ships, and and they're all protected by force fields, and you know they have no chance. And and the, you know the rest of the movie is about how they figure out a way to um, to fight back. And there's a big climactic battle that's actually very, very similar to the end of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, and and of course, you know, the 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 humans win out at, at, at great cost, but uh, but nevertheless, find a way of defeat def- defeating this what you know what what appears to be completely unstoppable superior alien race. And I think appropriately um, enough for the show, the geek with the computer wins the day. <laughs> he uploads yeah. a couple... Here, th- this was my yeah. problem. Even sitting there, suspending all yeah. reason. Yeah. Completely embracing, you know, the, the science of this movie. Here's this alien race that technologically is way far advanced than we are. 
they're coming to basically strip mine our planet and we're just bugs in their way. They have advanced technology where our weaponry can't even get past their shields. They have interstellar spacecraft that, you know, their entire society is, is space bound. They don't have a home planet of their own, right? Yeah. A guy can use a laptop to hack into their system and plan a virus. Are you kidding? Come on. That was just, to me, at that point, I'm sitting there and I'm like, and of course, I was publishing my Mac magazine at the time. But even then, I'm like, come on. There's no freaking way a guy in a laptop with a 56K modem is going to hack into this alien craft to disrupt their shields for any length of time. Yeah, you're not supposed to think about that. I know, but who couldn't think (laughs) of that? Sit there watching that going, come on. I've I've got to say, I mean, great as Independence Day was, I think the last 20 minutes are are not the best part of the movie. Um, Because the way they they figure out how... Because the the twist of it is that even having taken down the shields, they they, they plant this virus, they fly up in a a captured spaceship, Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, uh, into the mothership that's controlling all of these other ships down on the planet below. Um, and plant this virus that, that disables the shields. But, of course, the, the twist then is that even having disabled the shields, these ships are so large that, you know, even the, everybody firing all of their missiles into these shields, you know, just blows holes in it. It doesn't actually bring it down. Right. Uh, You've got to get one precisely in, a la Star Wars. Well, well, what happens is that the comic relief character, um, you know, kind Randy of... Randy Quaid. Randy Quaid. Who plays yeah. a great role in this. I, I mean, he Randy. plays he a, a is, great role. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, again, he's, he <laughs> he's completely... Awesome. Uh, Completely over the top, but you know, he again, he kind of. This, this it off. wasn't his best role, by the way. No, his best um, role was in Christmas Vacation. I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. He's so but, good but in the, that movie. Both roles. He did it when he did it the first. The one, first one, yeah, but second. he was really better in the second one. Oh, gotta yeah. love the white shoes. Yeah. So he figures out, you know, he basically he has the last missile, and um, he he has to try and. Shoot out the uh, the weapon underneath the the big spaceship, and he can't. You know, again, just like in Armageddon, he can't fire his missile. It's stuck, so he ends up sacrificing himself to bring the ship down and showing everybody how it can be done. Um, and yeah, you know that, that from really from the virus onwards, the the end of the movie is is fairly weak, to be honest. Um, you know, but uh, nevertheless, still still very enjoyable and worth. I think for the first half of the movie. And Wilson's performance is, is worth is always worth a watch for me. Uh, my, if, it, if it's on, I'll watch it. Oh yeah, one of my, I, favorite, one of my favorite scenes um, when you kind of again not a little bit of an homage, but if you remember when uh, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith were, they had delivered the virus, and now they're back on their way out of the mothership, being chased by all the aliens. And you remember what Jeff said? He said, "Must go faster, must go faster." <laughs> and again, remember back in Jurassic Park when they're in the jeep. Yes. And the uh, yeah. T-Rex is, is on their way, and he sees him in the rearview mirror. Must go faster. Must <laughs> That's go faster. right, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I kind of like Judge Hirsch's role as Jeff Goldblum's father. Right. And uh, I, I like the scene where he's talking to him, and he's saying, I haven't spoken to God in 10 years since your mother died. And he's like, oh, my God, and I can't believe it. And, uh, and then he gives him the whole idea of, you know, you'll catch a cold. And he's like, oh, you're a genius. I understand now. I, that's what I have to do. Later, they're all sitting around. He's sitting with the kids, and they're praying or something as the attack's going down. And the uh, ex-Secretary of State, or Secretary of Defense, no, he's Secretary of State, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, The guy who gets fired, he comes in, he's like, you know, join us. And he goes, I'm not Jewish. And he goes, nobody's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) 
he played, yeah, but Judge Hirsch played a role in that movie. Um, for me, up until that point, the only thing I really remembered him in was Taxi. Right. But his role in this movie was just fantastic. I mean, I, I completely bought his character. And he's yeah. my favorite character in the entire movie because he's the only one, to me, that's really acting well. He plays a similar yeah. character in the, the the current series called Numbers, I think, where he plays. He plays the dad, same character, dad, you know. Dad. Yeah, he yeah. plays basically the same character. But I, I mean, you, uh, Tim, you played the music before. I think it's, it is worth sort of saying that. Well, I think one of the thing that works in this film is that is the fact that the you know the the bad guys, that you know they are. I, in my mind, it was one of the first times you saw aliens who were really alien. Yes. In yeah. that you know they didn't. They didn't have human style motives where, you know, they were trying to dominate the world or no, they I would to say... rule or anything like that. They basically they were doing just what they this was this is just what they do. Um, and to, to and the fact that that that's, that's that was the way that was explained and and the way the aliens appeared. I mean, they they designed the aliens so they did not look like guys in rubber suits. Exactly, uh, and um, you know they were the the suits were actually designed so that it didn't look like anybody could fit in there to really make them seem different. Yeah, and um, I do like how the the actual aliens themselves were much smaller than the suits. That's right. Yeah, but you yeah. know a yeah. lot of that the the scariness of the aliens and how powerful they are and why we should fear them really comes from um, uh, Brent Spader or no, is that his name? Brent Brent Spiner. Spiner, yes, yeah. Data from Star Trek. And he plays a fun role in this movie. Yeah, he was obviously really enjoying himself. Oh, you could tell to wear the contact lenses and the makeup for a change. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's he's like the uh, the Area Fifty One mad typical mad scientist. With did the you know there everything. was a, a a novelization of this movie? But the same guy who did the novelization of this movie did a prequel book, Independence Day, that takes place back in the forties and the fifties or the fifties and sixties. I forget, and it and it revolves around that character. Mm-hmm. Um, how he gets the alien craft and his experimentation on it, and I never read it, but I read about it, and I thought, wow, this might be something I have to jump up on eBay and buy for a quarter because <laughs> I'm kind of curious about that. It, it's uh, what is it, Doctor Hokum? Was that his name? Something like that. Uh, Oaken, I think. Oaken, yeah, yeah. And then it, the and that the prequel book actually kind of revolves around his character. Hmm. And, you know, there was never a sequel to this movie, which kind of surprised me for a movie that made more than three quarters of a billion dollars worldwide not to have a sequel. I think it's probably too late to do it now, um, but maybe not because they, they never really say what year that this movie takes place in. But right. still, uh, this movie was begging for a sequel. I thought, obviously, not all the aliens are going to die when the spacecraft goes down, um, when the mothership has exploded, when... The smaller ships crash into the ground, burning. A lot of the aliens are going to escape, aren't they? A lot of these well, aliens are going to have except, access to technology that's far in advance of what we have. Or that wherever they are, wherever they came from, clearly they must have phoned home to say, hey, these guys knocked us out. Well, there was the no trip, home. You know? No, they, no, they established no. that there was fa- the main unit. Well, the, the main the, unit? Well, there is no, this is it. I mean, their entire species. The mothership. Yeah, that that's where they live, and they strip mine planets, and the Earth fit the bill exactly what they're looking for. Come and take it. Yeah, but even then, I mean, they they could have established that you know there is other aliens out there, and they're coming to find out why one of their sister ships crashed, 
or I think would have been even a better sequel is the aliens are on the planet and uh, they have to fight them off. You know, it, it wouldn't be spaceships and airplanes. It would be ground troops. It would be, um, I don't know, it's just something. But I, why was there never a sequel? I I never understood why they knew a sequel to this movie, David. Well, there would have to be another major effect, a, ma- a major co- you know uh, collapse or catastrophic event for the world to be saved again. It's kind of hard to go from here when you've saved the world, you know? Yeah. I, I think as well. I think that the, uh, the you know the producers don't really. I mean, you think I mean, everyone was, could never understand why they never made a sequel to Stargate. And, well, they uh, kind of yeah, did. They, well, though they the didn't. They, they weren't. They weren't involved with the TV series. I mean, they, they kind of they sold the rights to the TV series, and and they weren't involved in its production whatsoever. And in fact, I have heard that they, you know they have said if they ever did a sequel to Stargate, they would effectively, you know, would not count the TV series as continuity. As far as they're concerned, it's something else. So well, I, I, I just, yeah. I just, I just, I just, I can only presume that that you know sequels is not really their thing. Um, I think it would be a. T- I think what you what you say is right, Mark. It would be tough to try and, you know, build a a a, a sequel with the same kind. Of, you know, if you want to have the same sort of themes yeah. in it, then um, in know, terms of plot wise, line, where do you go from there? You know, yeah, that that might might be tricky. But you know, uh, who's who's not? I mean, there's been plenty of. of of sequels that have have ignored the those difficulties and gone yeah. for it anyway, but uh, I I guess they just um, you know wanted to move on to other things. I mean they made Godzilla after this, didn't they? So um, yeah, maybe that was. That I mean the thing bad. is, if you have big these big high concepts, why did they make the new Godzilla not look anything like the original Godzilla? That killed it for me. I mean Godzilla was the roar and the way he looked. Yeah, it's a guy in a rubber suit, but. Had they made a CGI Godzilla that looked kind of like the guy in the rubber suit, that's what I wanted to see. And they made this big yeah. lizard. It was horrible. Well, that had to be Emmerich's choice. You know, I, I, it's kind of interesting that you bring that up, the, the Godzilla movie. Um, and if you remember, again, a tie-in back over to Armageddon. If you remember the beginning of the movie when there's a little dog. Yeah, he attacks the Godzilla. It. Yeah, he attacks the Godzilla from Emmerich's yeah. version. <laughs> that's kind of interesting. Well, was it Emmerich's version? I thought it was the yeah, regular Godzilla. The, yeah, it was the, it was, I think it was the doll... It was a replica of the one from this movie, kind of a an homage or a little attack. No, I think version. it was the original Godzilla he attacked. Was it? Yeah, because it obviously, for most people, that would be more recognizable for it to attack the original-looking Godzilla rather than the lizard with the flat head thing that they developed for the new one. nothing like it at all. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I never got into that movie at all. Mm-mm. So there's a lot of other movies that we'll talk about in the future. Um Somebody in the, in the chat room just said uh, Cloverfield, which I really enjoyed. That was another good movie. Um, Fantastic. Movie. I, I'd like to talk yeah. about Transformers. I know there's a Transformers 2 coming out. I like the Transformers in the 80s. I like the cartoon series. Um, I hated the new movie for the most part. I thought it was absolutely just wretched. I thought that movie yeah. should have been about um, two characters, the, the, the boy and the one robot. Uh, Bumblebee. That should have been basically the entire movie, and uh, introduce the other Transformers at the very end. It should have been one bad guy robot, one good guy robot, and the kid. That should have been it. And then maybe one day we'll have a theme of the the biggest sci-fi movies that flopped. Yeah, you know. And um, there's going to be a lot of other movies to talk about coming up. I cannot wait to see the new Star Trek movie. It looks fantastic. I yeah. mean. J.J. Yeah, Abrams is really dynamic. Dude, I, mean, I haven't been excited about Star Trek since Deep Space Nine ended. Yeah. 
That that was the one Star um, Trek series yeah. that I really dug. You know what? I I watched I watched Star Trek Nemesis on uh, TV a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, and I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed the TNG movies. I, I will say that they're not bad. No. They just haven't been yeah. great. I mean, no. I, I don't think any of the TNG movies came close to the height of the television series when Captain Picard gets captured by the Borg. That was yeah. the best Star Trek the next generation ever got, and the movies never captured that. And then they did a huge distur- disservice of killing Kirk the most hokey way possible. I mean, yeah. um, but there's other movies. Wolverine coming out looks really, really good. Which yeah. I thought, oh great, another X Men movie. I'm I'm getting kind of which I was out really disappointed with X Men three. Uh, I liked X Men three, but the new Wolverine movie looks really good. GI Joe is coming out. I'm kind of optimistically hopeful for that movie because uh, I don't want to hate on GI Joe. I was never a big fan. I like the comic books a little bit, but I don't know the the whole concept of GI Joe right now. While we're in a war in Iraq, and uh, yeah. I don't know, it just it's. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, would, I, I, yeah, the, what I've seen of the GI Joe, I've seen the trailers, and it looks does. I don't think it looks good. Yeah, I, really, I haven't really seen any trailers, so I'm gonna have I'll to. I'll tell you what I would love to do is I'd love to throw out, uh, add to our upcoming list somewhere down the line is uh, the sci-fi movie Serenity, and with the tie back to, of course, Firefly. I love that movie. Well, we're gonna yeah, do another show. That's gonna be a show in the future because uh, Firefly. And Serenity, and I kind of take that as one thing. I don't, I don't break out the movie from the TV series. Um, is one of my favorite sci-fi slash westerns of all time. Oh my god! I mean, it's so good. I love it. We'll definitely have a show completely dedicated to Serenity because I mean, Firefly was such a brilliant show. And if you guys haven't watched it. He's awesome. you know, I, I watched I watched Firefly sort of back to back, and then um, you know enjoyed the movie as well. Yeah, I did the um, same thing. I didn't watch it when it was on television. I think that was the problem with it. Um, yeah, not enough. Uh, yeah, I, no, I you, got you the box. Be, you, were set. Not, you were better not watching it on TV because they didn't show them in order on TV. Yeah, I know, yeah. retarded. But you but know, watching I watched, the DVDs back to back is awesome. That's what I did. I watched the entire series, then I watched the movie, and I'm done. And I was like, oh man, that was so yeah. good. Give me some more. <laughs> I want more of that. That was awesome. And there's a lot of other stuff that we'll talk about in the future. Maybe we'll talk about The Shield. But uh, video games is going to be another thing. Now, you guys aren't the hardcore gamers that I am. No. Um, so I might have to find a different co-host for when I do the big, the big video game shows. Like, I want a show on Grand Theft Auto. Uh, I think it's the, a defining thing in video games. It changed the industry. It changed the way we play games. I want to do a show on Halo. Um, I think that would be really oh, cool. Well, yeah, Halo. I played a lot of Halo. Um, played, it, played it on the PC, but um, nevertheless played a lot of Halo. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about. We really want your guys' feedback. We're going to wrap the show up here in a second, but send us feedback. Uh, easiest way to get a hold of me right now is Tim at MyMac.com. Just send it there. And uh, people listening to the show, obviously you guys are listening to the MyMac podcast most of the time because we're going to put this show in the MyMac feed for the first two or three or four episodes. This show will be coming out every two weeks, not weekly, so twice a month. And we really need your feedback to make the show better, to share your thoughts on what we're talking about. Tell us your favorite movie, geek movie. Which one is it? Uh, We'll have an 80s show where we talk about the stupid 80 movies and geek out over that stuff. Um, Anything you want to throw out there, David? 
Uh, no, I think um, you know I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to you know doing this sort of show and talking about things and really getting into you know getting on the skin of some of this stuff. Absolutely, and, you know. and and we'll touch again on the themes that we talked about on this show. I mean, you know, we covered a lot of stuff from the Academy Awards to the two movies that we ostensibly were going to talk about to soundtracks. And I think again, a soundtrack show where we actually play clips from our favorite soundtrack of movies. Yeah. I think that would be a fun show to do. Everybody pick like. Their top five soundtrack movies, and if some exactly. overlap, that's cool. But you know, um, somebody in the paint room, uh, paint guy in the the stream right now is saying Blade Runner. You know, Blade Runner is one of those movies that I've never watched all the way through. I've only caught pieces of it. I just I don't know why. I even have it on my Apple TV. I just haven't sat down and watched it. I know yeah. that a lot of people think, oh, that's a crime, and I'll get to it eventually. <laughs> but there's a lot yeah, of stuff to talk about. Me. Uh, Mark, where are the listeners going to go to learn more information about this show? Okay, so uh, if you want to go, and you'll be able to p- go in, uh, to the website, uh, thegeekiestshowever.com, uh, and you can go to that website and you can leave comments. We'll have postings for this show, and then we'll also have uh, links there for you to be able to subscribe, either RSS or to iTunes, uh, to the show. And uh, go there, leave some comments, leave some ideas, as well as uh, when we have the iTunes link up there, go up and uh, do a review for the show. Um, show some love and uh, let us know what's going on with you and what you'd like to see. We love your feedback. We love your comments. So geekiestshowever.com. And again, if you guys are getting this as part of the MyMac podcast subscription, you'll only get a few of these. Uh, don't freak out. You're not going to get all of them. But if you do like it, you're going to need to subscribe to this podcast specifically in iTunes because the My Mac Guy podcast that's that's us as well and uh to help build us the audience you know we're going to take advantage of the My Mac listeners and <laughs> piggyback on on that RSS feed for a while as well so give them some extra content a little extra content but if you like the show make sure you subscribe to this show so guys that's it we'll be back next uh, well I guess we'll be back in 2 weeks won't we mm-hmm. and we'll be back with Guy Searle I'm really looking forward to it all topic right, guy Topic next week is best comic book movie of all time. We'll each have our own picks. Maybe they'll be the same one. They probably will be. We'll probably all pick The Dark Knight. Um, we'll probably do like a, what do you think, a top five list, David? Yeah. Yeah, everybody picks their top five superhero comic movies. And also, the best comic book hero movies never made, like a Flash yeah. movie or a Green Lantern or something. Oh, yeah. So, Green Lantern, I heard Green Lantern's in production, actually. Well, there's a lot of things yeah, that go into production and never goes oh. anywhere. No, that would be uh, Green Arrow that you're thinking about. No, no, actually, that, that is the Hornet, Green Hornet. Green Hornet, oh, that's right, you're right, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, if you guys like comic book movies, send us your list, send us the, the best comic book movie out there that's never been made. That's, I'm more interested in hearing what you guys think about that. Tell us who the, who the, the star of the movie would be and what character it is, and give us a brief synopsis of what the movie is about. <laughs> I doubt yeah. if anybody will do that, but I think it would be really a, cool. Give us a script and a production budget, yep. Yep. and then we'll get and right we'll on it. We'll see what we can do on it, yeah. <laughs> so for uh, David and Mark, I'm Tim. We're out of here. <laughs>